0: The following Agio-supported podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Please speak with your healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. The guests on today's show were paid to participate in this podcast.
1: Welcome to Thalpals Day Alpha Beta Revolution. Whether you are a thalassemia patient, a caregiver, a partner, or provider, this podcast is meant for you. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Kuo.
2: And I'm your co-host, Larice Levine. The Alpha Beta Revolution will strive to provide listeners with critical education, the latest scientific updates, voices from the greater global community of people who are impacted by thalassemia.
1: Larice, we traveled to New Orleans for ASH back in December. It was a terrific experience, and we got the opportunity to talk with some incredible people.
2: That's right, Dr. Quo. I had a great time interviewing Ralph Calasante, Rucha Shah, and Nina Maria Baldolamente about their experiences with thalassemia, as well as the generational differences dealing with this
1: disease. That's great. Let's take a listen.
2: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Thal Pals, the Alpha Beta Revolution. We're recording live from New Orleans during the Ash Convention. So I want to welcome all of you. It's a real honor for me to sit down with a wonderful panel
3: of patients and let's get started. I'm going to have you introduce yourselves. I'm Ralph Calasanti. I'm a 59-year-old thalassemia patient. I am also president of the Kuluzumia Foundation currently. And anything I say here today is basically me as a patient. has nothing to do with the Kuluzumia Foundation or any views that the foundation has. It's my personal views. But um, new grandfather, just happy to be here right now.
4: That's awesome. Congratulations on being a (laughs) grandfather. I'm Rucha Shah. I am 35 years old. And I have thalassemia. I live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Short story about me. I was born in India, transitioned over here after high school. And what do you do for work? Oh, I work in clinical research. So I think thalassemia guided me and I wanted to do something in healthcare to push science forward. I don't work on thalassemia research. I work in oncology, but it helped me guide what I do. That's wonderful. I'm Nina Maria Badalamenti.
5: I am a 26-year-old woman with beta thalassemia. Originally from Detroit, I get treated in Detroit, but I currently live in Chicago. I work as a news producer.
2: That's awesome. And I'm Larice. I am a 50-year-old woman with thalassemia, transfusion dependent. We have many generations here, which is going to be a rich conversation. So, Ralph Since we're one of the trailblazers, as you said this morning, instead of dinosaur, could you tell me how you've seen thalassemia care change? over time?
3: Just in the way we introduce ourselves, I still have that mindset where I'm a thalassemia patient, I'm not a patient person with thalassemia. I, don't, I never look at myself as that because all my life it's been, you've been a patient. And just listening to Rusha and Nina Maria, how they said, I'm patient with thalassemia, a person with thalassemia versus that patient mindset. So over the years, care has just been incredibly evolving and changing and just getting better and better. Our generation, Larissa, I, I said we're trailblazers because we literally are. We kinda of set the tone for a lot of clinical trials that brought first gesterol chelation therapy. And when we were diagnosed, our outcome wasn't we weren't I wasn't supposed to be a grandfather according to what my diagnosis said. Never mind, get married, have children, and have a life outside of maybe high school or early college, because our life expectancy was for me, I was told thirteen to twenty. The treatment just evolved. It was just blood safety got a lot better from the days we were early transfusions, and to the oral chelator, which I credit for saving my life. So that took, what, from, say, late 70s to early two thousand, late 90s, early 2000s, before we actually got that oral chelator. But therapies have changed and we just have a bright outcome for our younger generation. It's just there's curative therapies with bone marrow transplant. You don't need actual sibling donors anymore. You can find other matches that are working. We have gene therapy that's been approved, which again is life-changing because people who have gone through it have are not transfusion-dependent and they're living, quote-unquote, normal lives. So, you know, i just looking forward to what, what more therapies are coming down the pipe. We have a lot of promising ones, and it's been evolving, and it's due to technology and the ever-changing world and mostly research and trials and patients that have Done those trials, who I credit wholeheartedly for getting involved and taking the time to improve somebody else's challenge, which Larissa and I have done over the years to bring us to this point. And it's glad to pass it off to another generation. (laughs) When I was diagnosed, my mom's attitude was, "Don't listen to what the doctors say; we leave it in God's hands." And I remember telling her because I was probably making my first communion around the time I was diagnosed because I was diagnosed late and. I just said, God's not going to take me yet. That's the way I just felt. Going through high school and all that, I had different opinions because I've seen some of my friends pass. But when they brought me a trial, my mom would say, yeah, he'll do it. Yeah, he'll do it. Because my mom's belief was he's here for a reason. And it may not be for a long time on earth, but it may be so that he could help someone else. So she signed me up for any kind of trial. 28 days in the hospital was kind of like a normal thing for me. It was like summer camp. Or actually winter camp, because a lot of times it would happen during school. So I had tutors in the hospital. I had hospital school, as we used to call it. Going back then, the early mornings, they would take us to a class and work with our school schedule. You know, it was just a lot of poking, a lot of prodding, a lot of liver biopsies, a lot of bone marrow tests. And it brought us a chelator, not oral yet. And it was a chelator I didn't want to be a part of, unfortunately. (laughs) For
4: me, I always considered myself a middle child, saying, because I had some of the old and some of the new. Growing up in India, I kind of know the pain that you guys went through. And I can't even imagine having been stuck as a child every single day. The one thing that the, my care reflects that I'm the middle child is, I don't have my spleen removed, I have my spleen. And I think it was right around that time when there was a conversation between do you need to remove your spleen versus not? And my father, he did his research. He came to the conclusion that it's not really necessary anymore. And that's why I still have my spleen versus now a lot of younger patients do. It's just a matter of fact that unless there are complications, you Mm still, but I think with the older generation, it was a norm that you get your spleen removed. But I think just the standard of care in general changed over the years with the knowledge that we got from all you guys that came before us. That's awesome.
2: And we'll get to transition because you have a fascinating story. Just remind us what your transfusion regimen is.
4: I go every three weeks and I get two to three units. Two units? So two to three units. Two to three and units.
3: And I units usually get three now, but yeah. Okay. And Ralph? I go every three weeks. In the past, it's been two to three units. Now it's one to two units. Okay. So we could talk about that later.
2: <laughs> okay. And Nina Maria
5: changes every day with thalassemia. So what have you seen? First, just hearing you guys talk about what you went through and going through those trials and just your story. I have chills. I have absolute chills just sitting down with you guys, the people who led the way in thalassemia. And it's because of you guys that I am here, that I have access and I have drugs and these chelators that allow me to be here. And if it weren't for you guys Being the ones testing us out and being poked and staying in the hospital for days and months on end, that wouldn't have happened. And so, like, thank you. For that, that is just from the bottom of my heart. It's just incredible to just be here with you guys and just hear your story and be able to thank you in person for leading the way in what you did. So, the fact that we have oral chelators and now it's just a pill that I have to take, that has that is just milestones in terms of the type of care that I need and regimen that I need to do. Just seeing that progression in my lifetime makes me so hopeful and eager to see what will come for the next generation. I really see great solutions coming. It's amazing.
0: Agios is a biopharmaceutical company that's fueled by connections with patient communities, healthcare professionals, patients, and each other. Building on these connections and the company's unmatched leadership in the field of cellular metabolism Agios is pioneering therapies of genetically defined diseases, a broad group of rare and more common diseases that are typically severe and life-threatening. Near-term, Agios is focusing on hemolytic and acquired anemias, including sickle cell disease, pyruvate kinase, or PK deficiency, and thalassemia. To learn more, visit agios.com. That's A-G-I-O-S dot com.
2: Where do you see thalassemia in the next decade? Wow. Or It could be what is going to happen, what you hope would happen, what you'd like to see. Oh, wow. And and by the way, thank you for your kind words. That was the goal for me in my life is to make it easier for you to come in and to see you sitting here. You're just such a stunning
5: person and a beautiful heart. It makes it all worth it Um, for me. Thank you. Genuinely, you guys have made such a big impact. I guess I hope that we just see these same strides in my lifetime. And for these next generation of kids, I guess I just hope that there are less obstacles in the way for them. Scientifically, I don't know what that looks like, but maybe it looks like less transfusions or no transfusions. And maybe it looks like not having to worry about logistics of telling your boss or having your health get in the way of your career or your goals and your dreams. I just hope that the kids in the next generation don't have those fears that
4: we've had to deal with. I think we have, so we have gene therapy now, which is a huge milestone, right? So I just want the data from that to develop and see where it leads us and there are potentially other curative therapies coming. I'm excited to see that. And I also want to see early education in terms of when a couple is trying to become pregnant and screening and knowledge about that. So, when if they hear that their child has thalassemia, may require blood transfusions for the rest of their life, it's a little bit easier on them than it was probably for our parents to wrap their brains around what their future is going to look like, because it will be brighter. So I think that's where I want to go. That's what I want to see going forward.
5: I love that. That also made me think of access, right? right? Having anyone who is diagnosed with thalassemia to have access to the treatments coming forth and the ones right now, because there are so many people across the country and in the world that don't have easy access to the things Mm -hmm. that we do. So for me, yes, I want to see more solutions, but even more so, now that we have solutions where we can live full lives, I want everyone to be able to have that. I can't agree more. I feel like just because I was born in the United
2: States doesn't make me any more deserving than a patient in a developing country that has no access to safe blood. And yeah, fighting for that. Ralph, what do you hope to see? in the next decade for thalassemia?
3: I'm going to bring out my inner geek and say, by now I really thought we'd have the healing beds and Dr. Bones McCoy just putting a thing over me and curing me. That was what Star Trek promised us. So uh, I think what Nina Maria touched on with access to care, the thing with thalassemia is what works for some people doesn't work for others. Mm -hmm. And what I'd like to see is that any option works for everybody. So we need more options, right? Some people don't like taking a drink of chalk every morning. I embraced it because it was better than the alternative for me. Drinking chalk, I loved it, and it worked well (laughs) for me. But it didn't work well for a lot of my friends and our thalassemia family, as we call it, because we fight like siblings, we love like siblings, and we pretty much (laughs) are a family outside of a normal family. But I just, more curative therapies, I see thalassemia not being an issue for someone born with it. And more importantly, we need to let people know what thalassemia is. Everybody knows what cancer is. Everybody knows, It may be a different type, but when you hear the word cancer, you know. When you hear the word thalassemia, everybody's what's that? And in the United States, we identified about 2,000 patients with beta thalassemia, alpha thalassemia, or hemoglobin H, right? Different forms of thalassemia. But throughout the world, we know there's millions of patients. And even in the United States, we know there's many patients that aren't getting treated that don't even know they have thalassemia until something happens where it's a life and death situation and people find out, oh my God, they have thalassemia. Getting the word out, like Rusha said about, you know, knowing that our parents were blindsided, right? They didn't know. So knowing that you carry the trait. So I always encourage everybody to get tested for thalassemia trait. No matter what nationality you are, because what used to be thought it was a Greek Italian disease. Now we see it's not. It's Southeast Asia. It's Asia. It's India. It's the Middle East. The disease spreads throughout the world, pretty much. And I'd like to see improved blood safety. I mean, we have the best blood probably in the world, and it's a tribute to what we've done over the years with the Closemia Foundation done actually securing us blood. But I just want everybody to have an option, whether it's no transfusions would be great. So there's some things we're working on. If it's a pill that will just generate my blood count a little bit and not require me to get transfused, that's an awesome job. That's something that I dream about. But I know no other way like you do. We know no other way of living other than we base our lives around our illness, right? We have to schedule our lives. I want that next generation not to have to worry about that, not to have to just go to a doctor. Most people in their 20s haven't seen a doctor. than than pediatrician once a year. By the time we were in our 20s, we've seen every doctor in the world, right? <laughs> and we've been the guinea pigs for most things. I want more doctors to know what thalassemia is and how to treat that was That's the key, because if you go into an emergency room, they don't know how they're treating you. It's maybe one or two pages in the medical book that they know about it. So I think there needs to be more medical education, educating doctors, so that people in these remote areas can get treatment and get to a center of excellence once a year and still work with a local doctor that could handle their illness. So it's just education and gain more knowledge. You really have to get it out there.
2: So speaking of education and knowledge, I know that all three of you have given a voice to the thalassemia community. So I just want to talk about a little bit about the importance of advocacy and education and what you've all contributed. Rucha, will you tell me about your advocacy efforts and why you think it's so important?
4: Yeah, when I was growing up in India, I didn't really know anybody who had thalassemia who was like me. And I had good medical care because... My family came from medical background, but the piece that I was missing was that social component, right? Who do I relate to? And when I came here overnight through CAF, I had a whole bunch of people who I could reach out to, which is amazing. And yeah, it gives you hope. But it's also, I think, learning from each other that, well, if you had that, then maybe somebody else had the same experience and you can learn from that or you can share your experience and maybe somebody else can learn. So I think it's that give and take, which is so important. It also lends a voice to our condition, to the condition that we have. And it just being a rare disease, like Ralph said, it's two pages in a medical textbook. So Even the physician community or the provider community haven't really heard about this. So I think it's just generating that voice and recognition in the broader society. And
2: thank you for your efforts. I know you run the Thalassemia Action Group and you do fundraisers and
5: it makes a difference. So thank you. you. Nina Maria? Yeah, definitely piggybacking off Arusha. It really is about just making sure more people hear our story, making sure more people know, just like Ralph was saying there, you go to the ER and you have to explain to them what you have and what you need. And it's the most frustrating, scary thing to experience a doctor that you're telling them what you need and they don't believe you or they don't understand or they don't think it's legitimate because they don't know about the disease. So I think it's really about Spreading that awareness and making sure that doctors understand what it is and also so that they can help better diagnose kids and give kids community. It's a lonely journey. I also, I knew no one growing up that had thalassemia and getting to meet some kids that have it, they just want to see someone like them doing well. And I think that really is the goal, just showing them that they can live a normal life as long as they take good care of themselves.
2: And we have three incredible role models here.
5: You've all been
2: incredible role models. Ralph, you're the advocate of all advocates here, working with the first president of Coolies.
3: I actually wasn't an advocate when I was growing up because getting handed a pump at, I was like 16, 17 in high school, thinking those were my last days. It wasn't, I really didn't want anything to do with. I mean, I advocated, I went went to walks and stuff like that and fundraised for the foundation. But it wasn't until after I realized that, hey, I'm still here and I made a promise to a friend that I'd get a little bit more involved that I actually started advocating. And I think, first of all, we have to be our own advocates, mm-hmm. especially in the medical community. We have to fight for what we need because like Nina Maria said, a lot of doctors don't listen to you, and you have to make sure you get somebody that will listen. But giving back was always a big thing for me. The Kuluzumia Foundation has always been near and dear to my heart. I started with TAG, which was an offshoot of, it was actually part of Kuluzumia Foundation run by the patients. And we kind of evolved into just the patients being part of the foundation because we're all here now. We're all at that age where we can lead this fight. That's what it is. It's leading the fight and getting people to know what the disease is and fundraising because I can't imagine if we had a budget like an American Cancer Society or even Parkinson's with Michael J. Fox. Thank God what he's done for that illness being a face. We handle this whole country with probably around a $2 million budget. And that's today. That's not budgets that we were looking at when the past were a lot less than that. And what has this foundation done? It assures blood safety for the whole United States, not just thalassemia patients, but it was a loud voice of a bunch of parents that were disgruntled with how the blood wasn't safe for their children who rely on that blood that started this foundation actually got rules changed in Congress and created the blood safety. Nobody knows about that. Nobody like it. That was pivotal. It was pivotal. They called us the mouse that roared back in Congress because we have congressional records that brought forth a lot of blood safety issues. Now, Giving back, it's just we're in control of our own destiny in the way I look at it. I do care walks. I know a lot of patients do care walks, which we need to support the foundation that supports us. And that's one of the things that I try to get through. Even we're doing so well. People look at us and like, oh, you're doing so well. You're still here. God bless you. And I'm like, I'm doing so well because there is a lot of people who you don't know who fought for me, who Mm -hmm. donated money to do all these clinical trials. I mean, when we fund fellowships, it's one of the biggest... Enjoyments I get is to, as a president now, is to approve those fellowships when we bring it to committee and our medical advisory board. The fact that we have a board of these brilliant doctors that come together and say, these look great, these don't. They make that decision. And I've seen a lot of doctors now who have been involved because of a fellowship they received from the Kuluzim Foundation. Advocating for the patient, advocating for the foundation, it's just, I figure that's going to be my legacy. So and I was quite uh, probably still here for maybe that reason, and other than being Blair's grandpa. Thank
2: you for that legacy. You're incredible, and I know you're, you'll continue your good work as president. So I could sit here for 10 more hours and talk to you all, but in a sentence or two to wrap up, what's one message you'd like others to understand about you as an individual with thalassemia? So we've talked a lot about advocacy and getting the word out. So what's one thing that you want others to understand in a sentence or two as we close? I'm going to start with nina Maria.
5: I want others to understand that though thalassemia has brought obstacles into my life and, you know, I have to do certain things that others don't, that it's not something that can stop me from reaching my goals and it's not something that I will let get in the way. And I hope that others see that in themselves as well.
4: I want people to see us as humans first and humans with thalassemia second. I read this article maybe a few months ago, which is published by one of the Lung Cancer Institutes and then ASCO published another guidance, which is called Language of Respect. And it basically said that rather than saying cancer patient or HIV patient, you should say patient with cancer or saying that rather than saying patient progressed, you should say patient's cancer progressed. So you're putting person first and their condition second. So I think, and it's not, so if I introduce myself as thalassemia patient, yes, I am a thalassemia patient. And Sometimes it's silly to say, I'm a person with thalassemia. Like, does it really matter all that much? Probably not. But I think it's that language, that change in communication or change in focus, that you're a person who has this condition or thalassemia is a function of this person that is you rather than you're a thalassemia patient. It distinguishes the person and it distinguishes thalassemia. So I think that is important. Like your guy's legacy was moving the science forward, making the treatments better. I think there needs to be a broader acceptance in the society. And it's not just within the physician's community, but also broader community accepting the fact that we have lives that are complicated. It's not just about one thing. And I think it's just that change in
3: focus that you've got to do.
2: That's so important. And I know you're forging the path. And Ralph, what do you want people to know?
3: So as a person with thalassemia, I will tell, and I'm glad I'm on this podcast right now because I will tell the world, the person with thalassemia is the strongest person you're ever going to meet. We have dealt with so much through our lifetime, even the younger generation. That's the person you want to hire. That's the person you want to encourage to go after their goals. Because if we could handle the disease that no one can see, which also gives you, people don't, they look at you and they say, oh, wow, you're doing great. But they don't understand the battle and they don't understand because it's all behind the scenes. We're not physically disabled. We're not, even though some of us are, but we're not an unseen illness. Mm -hmm. But the person with thalassemia is the strongest person you're going to meet. Because their day-to-day life has been this way since the day they were born. They know no other way. They only can battle. And I will tell everyone, anyone who's been diagnosed with thalassemia, just let that child grow. Let that child be a child. Let that child follow their dreams. Because they will be stronger than you as a parent. They will be stronger than you. And wholeheartedly, they will grow and do, you know, the therapies are out there. As long as they follow their regimen and you keep it on course, you're going to be raising one of the strongest people you meet. And that's just basically how I feel about any thalassemia brother or sister that I have in this room right now and all the ones I meet at our conferences. We are stronger than the average, like we are the hulks of the world. We really are. We carry a lot and we don't let people see it. We just go about our business.
4: Yeah. I think it's the change in narrative that needs to happen, right? Like the, ch- the way we communicate with each other, because every challenge in any person's life makes that, them stronger. And this does not define us, but it has molded us to be who we are today. It's like a part of us that is a challenge. That's a continuing challenge, but that continues to improve you and grow you.
2: You're shaking your head yes, I
4: agree. Yeah.
5: everything that they're saying, it's like they're speaking from my own soul. Like, it really is incredible to hear you guys speak on this, and I couldn't have said it better, truly. In closing, I just i am passionate about the thalassemia
2: community because of people like all of you. And every time I sit down, I'm inspired and learn, and so I want to thank each of you from the bottom of my heart for sharing your journey and your perspective and your wisdom and your knowledge. And with all of you at the helm, I know we're going to do great things.
1: That's all for today's episode. Again, I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Quo, and I liked it personally. Thank you for listening to Thalpals, the Alpha Beta Revolution.
2: Don't forget to hit that follow button in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Share the show with members of the thalassemia
1: community. Thalpals, the Alpha Beta Revolution, is made possible by Agios Pharmaceuticals Inc. Visit agios.com to learn more.
2: Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Val Pals, the Alpha Beta Revolution.
1: Bye everybody.